Episode 21 Hello, hello, Kopi Camilo Podcast Today we have Ines Hi All the way from UK, right? Yeah, yeah, I guess Currently based in UK Currently based in UK, in London So who is Ines and how young are you? What do you uh, do for a living? How would you describe yourself? Oh god, um Yeah Well, I'm Inessa Ines, otherwise Inessa, yeah. Um, I'm 27 Alright Uh, I'm a barista And uh, I guess I'm a little eccentric yeah. A little weird. Um, weird in a good way, I hope. It is. It surely is. <laughs> so, um, how how, what do you study? Like, what was your background? Like? Well, um, I started off in this college in IACT. Uh, not in IACT, but with IACT, and uh, I was studying uh, mass communications. How I got there was purely because I didn't do very well in school. Right. Um, mom and dad were like. Yeah, you can write. You have a good command of the language. So why not we just send you off to do advertising or something like that? Yeah. And uh, turned out I was pretty dang good at it. Yeah. Um, so I finished my diploma, and my parents were like, "Why not we send you abroad? It would be a good experience for you to kind of just like be independent." Right. So I went off to Hertfordshire. I was in the University of Hertfordshire for about a year and a half. This I was in 2014. In 2011, I think they shipped me off. Right, yeah, okay. so they sent me there for the final year of my degree. Um, did that, and um, during the time when I was doing my degree, mm-hmm. the university decided to introduce a course on creative writing right. as a master's. And at that time, I was really passionate about writing. Mm. Still, kind of am. Um, so my parents were like, this is a great opportunity for you, why not you apply for it? Right. So I did and I got accepted and I stayed there for another year and a half or two years. Mm. Alright. Yeah. Um, so that was like a degree program continuation from whatever you're doing, yes. advertising, right? So pretty much I was there from like 2011. I went back home in 2012, like for over a summer to reapply for a visa. Okay. Then I went back and I was there until like 2014. This is in the UK? Mm-hmm. You have to reapply visas every like so few years? Not every few years. So basically the whole like um, student visa, it only lasts for the duration of your um, program. So right. how long you're studying for, maybe they add on a couple of months for you to kind of linger around and yeah, hang yeah. out. And then eventually you have to go back home. Okay. Mm. Oh, so that means you already completed your program. Yeah. Ah, so right. Right. Yeah. Okay. How how was your childhood like? How was the travel like? Yeah. I mean, you grew up in SS two. You mentioned right. Yeah, I grew up in I grew up in SS two. So PJ. I was predominantly in PJ mm. a lot. I actually was born and raised in section fourteen. Okay. And then I moved when I was fifteen to SS two. Right. Literally, like within a five kilometer radius. My parents were like, "We like it here. We don't want to move far out." Okay. And then eventually I went over to the UK. I think if I look at it now and if I mm. count on it, I've probably shifted about seven to ten times in my life. But like just, just within the same, within the I radius mean, within, of a I mean, like within like Malaysia, KL, and right. then eventually moving to the UK. In the UK, I stayed in three different places. Right. Um, came back here for two years and you know decided, then I got married I went back mm. and yeah that was another two moves because I was based in Newbury where my husband um, lived with his family All right. and uh, this is me just waiting out my period of my fiancé visa uh-huh. so doing the fiancé visa they give you about six months to kind of plan all the weddings so what, do you, what do you say? Um, fiancé visa fiancé visa holy shit such so exists. It, it does exist. Wow. So it's the whole idea that I needed to get into the country and right. I obviously wasn't married to him yet. Mm. So that's the kind of visa they allow you to apply for. Okay. 
So like I said, it gives you six months to kind of get the marriage certificate. Right. Then you can reapply as a spouse. Okay. And the spousal visa is the one that grants you um, work. Work. Right. Which, which, which now you have, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. What, what would be your, your passion that you've developed since young? That you sing apart from writing, like. I mean, I've always been quite into the creative sphere. Right. I remember really being quite young, and being quite artistic to the idea I would like get a crayon and just draw on my parents' walls, mm-hmm. and instead of getting upset, they would actually encourage it. So they yeah. never painted over those walls. They allowed me to kind of doodle wherever I could. Right. And from there on, my parents obviously saw this sort of like interest in you know drawing and painting and stuff like that. So they sent me to art classes. Mm-hmm. They really helped me develop all of the skill. They're very, very actually uh, enthusiastic for me to do this. So yeah. eventually, I was I was a huge bookworm as well in school. Right. Instead of reading my textbooks, I would take like storybooks and <laughs> be reading Harry Potter during classes okay. and being, you know, quite annoying to my teachers. Obviously, who yeah. were like, "Why aren't you studying for your exam?" I'm studying English. <laughs> I'm reading Harry Potter because I'm studying English. Yeah. <laughs> Some serious topic right there, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I read a lot. And mm. obviously, this developed later on into like writing. Mm. And um, in secondary school, I uh, joined like drama classes and stuff like that, the club, and obviously got into writing um, mm. scripts for little kind of like shows and stuff like that. Right. Um, what do you like most about your childhood? Like, what is the fondest memory, you think? I guess growing up, like, my parents had a lot of close family friends as well. And right. these were family friends that they met when they were in school, like right. form six sort of thing. And mm. uh, I remember having lots of trips of their families as well. So they yeah. would get their kids involved who were all about the same yeah. age group as me. So there'll be like oh, eight of us right. going out for like family adventures. And I remember, um, I think I must have been like six, six years old. And uh, we went to Tamangar. Okay. And I remember, um, yeah, just going out on like a night safari. And obviously, we're all like six, seven, you know, really young and really just curious about all of this. And I remember, you know, there are obviously like eight children, like between the ages of two to like eight. Mm. And it was just crazy. My parents were like, shh, 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 try to keep quiet. We're like, where are the animals? Where are they? I can't see anything. It's so dark. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely mayhem. So, so having like a company, like a whole yeah. set of like family members, especially people around your age, right? You yeah, just like growing up with these, like, yeah, they were childhood friends mm. and they still are even up to this day. Right. But yeah, I think, um, I don't know, a lot of people give a lot of like bad rap for mm. kids who go to government schools. Like, yeah. you obviously assume that because you speak well, right. you went to an international school, yeah, and you yeah. developed some sort of like accent, and yeah. you know, obviously you're from an international school, but no, I think. I think that's quite the opposite and the contrary. Like you go to a government school, it builds good character out of you. Yeah, it makes you stronger in a way. Exactly. Yeah. Like yeah, you're yeah. not really spoon-fed. Mm-hmm. But then again, I can't assume all the same or stereotype all the same out of like you know private school kids or like international school. Yeah. What was the transition like from KL to UK? Was it easy or did you had like a little bit of culture shock or not really? Not really. Yeah. I mean, like I. I actually really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the idea that I was going to be leaving home and, and you know, discovering the person that I kind of wanted to be or right. I was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it was that much of a culture shock. I, I wasn't going alone. Mm. I was also going with some of the kids from my course right. who applied to the same university. So I wasn't completely there by myself. Okay. But 
maybe it was a good thing as well because like they were staying on campus mm. and when I applied they I was technically on campus but okay. I wasn't even in the same city so okay I, so it's uh, further out from the city so exactly, it was cheaper a little bit it was a little cheaper yeah. it was a 20 minute bus ride okay. from the campus and at first I was terrified I was like it was the whole idea that I was going to be somewhere else without any sort of like contact or you know friends yeah but you know I just sucked it up I was like okay fine I'll go this is finally my my international student kind of um, experience that I wanted I wanted to be out of home mm. I wanted to be completely uncomfortable and you know obviously learn and know more about the place I was and this was probably the best way to do it just being away from people I already knew versus staying like you know in the clique yeah. where therefore you already know these people you're not going to really grow mm. if you're stuck in that one place I had a lot of time especially during my creative writing course mm. um, especially towards the end of it because I had a dissertation to finish off and they gave me three months to do that right. so I can't be sitting down 24-7 doing a dissertation it was very unhealthy I remember getting to a very bad spiral and I was just you know, stuck in my house and wasn't leaving. So I decided that, okay, I won't get a job, but I'll volunteer. So I found myself at this little kind of like charity shop mm -hmm. run by the British Heart Foundation. All right. And I committed like five to six hours this every was day. during a degree year. Okay. Yeah. Uh, right. Sorry, no, my master years. Oh, master's. Okay. So at that point, I had moved towards London mm. because I didn't need to be on campus anymore to attend classes. Right. So. Um, it just allowed me that much more freedom to kind of leave, again, Hatfield mm. or Hertfordshire, go towards London and kind of be in the capital. Yeah, um, where, where, where everything happens, right? So yeah. yeah, but at the same time, while everything happened, I didn't have the money to make everything happen for myself. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't really go out. I didn't have friends. Um, my sister later joined me in London, which is kind of why I moved towards London. My parents are like, okay, we're sending your sister over and it's just the two of us. This is your younger sister? My younger okay. sister. She was going to be studying uh, culinary arts at the Colin Bleu in London. And she was just fresh out of school. She was 18. And they were like, we kind of need you to be there for her. Just to kind of look after her, look after each other. Plus it would be cheaper for the both of us, you know, to, for you to like stay in one place. Yeah. So that's why I moved to London. Right. Um, so we were both together. But before obviously she got there, I was in the like the apartment for a month by myself for two months, and I went stir crazy. I went into a really really dark place, and that dark place continued to follow me right. as I stayed in London. And um, you know, you're thinking to yourself like London is a huge place, and millions of people there. But how could you, you know, be so alone? And I finally understood that for the idea that, you know, you, it's so hard for you to go out and meet new people. And um, yeah, so yeah, it was a really, really dark place. And um, yeah. Yeah, I guess we all needed that dark place to actually find a light in the tunnel to get across to yeah. the other side, right? To understand ourselves also. Yeah. Cool. So you did um, your degree and after that, your master's, would that be in the same major or? Um, I guess the, they're not really transferable per mm. se. Um, okay. I mean, mass comm, you would obviously go into something like, you know, having a master's in journalism, right. having a master's in broadcasting or advertising okay. or PR. Mm -hmm. But I, I went into something completely, I suppose not completely different, but sort of familiar for myself. It was creative writing. So more on the idea of like, instead of writing for newspapers or magazines, you were learning how to write for... Um, scripts for radio, scripts for television, scripts for movies. We also did a lot of poetry. 
we did a lot of like novel writing, which is what I was more keen about. Yeah, short you were stories. you were obviously inspired by Harry Potter at a young age, right? Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I say Harry Potter because everyone knows Harry Potter, <laughs> but like it, growing up, yeah, it was a big part of my life. But yeah. I stopped reading it after book five right. because it turned into this like teenage drama, okay. which yeah, I, it's more commercial. They are they're aiming to get like the attention yeah. of more audience, right? Yeah, I mean. It's, yeah. A fair move by J.K. Rowling. She wanted cash, yeah. and I could understand. It's a good story. I love the premise and the plot and the world she created. But like at the end of the day, it just turned into this, yeah, teenage drama. I guess I was more inspired by writers like Neil Gaiman and Haruki Murakami, who more depth to it. Like. Yeah, more depth to it, and the whole idea that I was so fascinated by the idea that could, they could write a modern premise and modern mm. time setting but also add elements of fantasy mm. and surrealism to that and mm. um, yeah I really I would love to aim to write something like that where you're set in this whole idea of this is real but at the same time is it really basically during sort of like the tail end of my degree I met um, Matthew my husband yeah. I met him at a music festival um, we dated for about two weeks before I had to go back home and reapply for the visa to come back for my masters um, at that time it was nothing serious but we kept in touch mm. um, and I thought that was awfully sweet of him for the idea that he just literally met this stranger yeah. we hung out for maybe two or four days right. and you know he drove me to the airport saw me off and you know he we stayed in touch over like Skype and WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger and eventually thankfully I got the visa to come back from my um, my masters and that that's when we started dating right. um, and so my masters was about maybe two years to my I graduated and I guess the whole idea of me coming back was that I couldn't stay anymore okay. the whole idea about the UK visa is that they can grant you the, to study there but you can't go back for another degree. You can't go back for another master's. You've got to keep progressing. Oh, yep. So right. if I wanted to go back for a PhD, I would have to go back for a PhD. Okay. Uh, I, know, it's, I guess that's the trouble about like some long distance. It's that whole idea that the couple obviously wants to stay together, mm. but they don't know... They don't have like a, an aim or a goal at the end of the day. Like They kind of just like are in, are in a relationship because it's comfortable and because yeah. it's familiar and they both like the company of each other. But True. What happens when obviously one person goes away and there's no more physical contact? You don't see each other every day. Yeah. You can still t keep in touch. Thanks, thank God to like modern technology yeah. and stuff like that. But Skype like, and all. Internet. Obviously, there's no more intimacy. So, yeah. what else have you got to go from there? Mm -hmm. And you, if you don't have a decent foundation mm -hmm. in your relationship of trust and you know the whole idea that you've got to make certain sacrifices to obviously spend time with each other. I mean, I had like a seven, eight hour time difference to, to kind of like wage war with. Mm. So it would either me be staying up late and him getting up early in the morning to talk to each other over Skype wow. or vice versa. So let's talk a more about your coffee journey, mm. right? your whole discovery of coffee. When did it all begin? Like what was your first cup of memorable coffee? Memorable coffee. I mean, yeah. I guess I wasn't really keen on coffee as a child, but then like what child is yeah. you know it's like you developing a taste of coffee you developing a taste of beer as yeah, a kid yeah. you're like this stuff is so bitter I guess when it comes to coffee I took a serious interest in it when I was working in my media job so this is somewhere in 2014 2015 okay. I was coming up to the tail end of a year being with the company and I was burnt out you know obviously you join in kind of you know bright and hopeful about the whole entire job like finally I've, like this is my first serious job 
I was really keen. Um, social media sounded easy enough. I got two accounts. I got free stuff. It was great. Two accounts later became five, and then five became seven. <laughs> and at the end of the day, I was burnt out. I was just tired of doing this job, and it was. Again, another dark place, you know, I'll get in my car and be driving towards KL and thinking to myself, maybe I'll just crash the car so I don't have to go into work. Wow, up to that point. It was up to that point. It was not because I had a terrible boss, I had a terrible team Mm. or anything like that. I think it was just more internalized. It's the whole idea that I dreaded doing the job I did. So this is at that point I figured out, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I should just drop the ball and try something else. Otherwise, I'm just going to be stuck in this, like, terrible cycle where I end up, like, doing the job, getting money, getting great pay, and then at the same time, like, hating everything I do. Yeah. So um, I quit. I went freelance for Genting, um, doing their social media for about six months. And in that whole freelancing, I was at Grumpy Cyclist a lot. Um, Yeah. Reaching their Wi-Fi, drinking their coffee. (laughs) And um, that's how it began. You were you were a customer first, and then you applied for a job. Yeah. Oh, cool. So during the period of me freelancing, obviously I got used to the whole schedule and mm. what it was like. So I told Grumpy, like, I'm here a lot. Do you think you could give me a part-time job? And they did. So I started off part-time with them, and I lost the job because they, I don't know, some really weird sort of. Um, I think it was something to do with the contract. They thought I was leaving for a month holiday. Sorry, what was that? You lost the job. I lost my job with Gunting. Oh, um, right. Basically, okay. my contract fell through because um, I was scheduled to leave for a holiday to America for a month. Mm. And they thought I was leaving much earlier than I told them to. That okay. I was, you know, going. So, I obviously... Yeah, they were just like, we got to let you go um, three months before my trip. And I was like, okay. Right. Sure. All right. I guess that's fine. So then I went up to Grumpy and I was like, guys, I just lost my job. Can I come off part time and go full time? They're like, yeah, okay. Right. So um, yeah, that's kind of how it all started for me, really. Okay. How how was your the whole journey in Grumpy? Do you do you learn a lot while you were there or prior to that you already acquired some skills? I had no idea how to pull an espresso. I had. N- no idea about right. coffee. Yeah. I mean, I had some knowledge. I had ideas of like, oh, I know what a flat white is. Oh, I know what a latte is. Uh-huh. Oh, I know what a long, you know, an espresso is. And yeah. um, I learned a lot of the basics in Grumpy. I'm very, very um, grateful for the people I had and met in Grumpy mm. to obviously teach me and um, to be my friends, really. Yeah. At the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Oh, so um, what are your favorite cup of coffee that you will be able to make? For yourself, would it be a pour over? Would it be a filter coffee? Uh, I guess it would be a filter coffee. Filter. I I love. I don't know. It, it, a lot of people look at it as being tedious mm. and a lot of work. A lot of work. Yeah. You know, a lot of preparation to make one good cup of coffee. It's like seven minutes for you to actually assemble everything and pour everything out. But I I love the whole um, the clarity to it. I guess. The clarity to it. The whole process to it. Mm. It's long, but at the same time, you get time to yourself to think exactly not, not necessarily thinking about what you're doing with the coffee but just think for yourself yeah yeah and yeah wow that's nice it's sort of ritual it's a ritual for me really right now but no I don't actually make coffee at home anymore because oh, I work five it, w- it was a ritual it was a ritual oh, for okay. me um, yeah how was the experience like working in Grumpy Cyclist like because I've because it doesn't exist anymore obviously yeah Grumpy Cyclist has closed down but how, how does it feel like w- while you were there the whole experience was it like I guess I guess it's more way more relaxing than a media company right 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, like, I was actually finally doing something that I, I enjoyed, yeah. and it wasn't taxing for me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's. It was not like working in in the media company where I brought work home with me because when does social media ever quit? It doesn't. Yeah. You know, you're still responding to emails at 11. You're still replying to someone's comment at maybe 3 a.m. in the morning because that's what the job needed out of you. Yeah. And but with Grumpy, with working as a barista, you go into work, you make the coffee, you run the coffees, you help out with the food. And then you come home, and that's and it. That's yeah. it. As soon as you walk out that door, you don't have to think about work anymore. Yeah. And I still enjoy that part of it, really. Like you, I go into the cafe, I work my ass off. But as soon as I clock out, I'm done. I just turn off, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go home and get in my pajamas and have blissful sleep. Yeah. All right. So. Um, artisanal school coffee is that where you're artisan, in right? artisan artisan coffee. it's just it's just called artisan it's just called artisan in Lo- central London itself it's not yeah. in central London it's actually in west London right so um, so you're you're working there full time right mm-hmm. now wow how is the whole um, journey to get to land yourself that job it's a funny story actually yeah. um, in 2015 I went um, to the UK to visit Matthew and in that two-week period I spent about three days in London and I was staying in West London in this really cheap hotel that he found online and um, next to that hotel was a cafe and I remember being there maybe two or three times in my trip just to obviously pop in get coffee or on my way back get coffee before going back to my hotel room and um, I had such a good experience at that cafe I remember being that asshole getting into line (laughs) <laughs> and it's a busy Saturday morning right. and ordering a pour over. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine? Like they have like 18 <laughs> coffee orders to go through and the last one, number 19, is oh, a V60. Great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, despite that, like I mm. had such a good experience with them because they were so friendly. They were friendly, they weren't pretentious. Right. And I felt I felt like that was really important to have because a lot of the places that you go into in London, oh. there's obviously this air about the baristas. Oh, okay. Um, I guess also it's the whole idea that maybe they're busy, maybe they can't give you as much attention as they would like to because it's busy for them. But, you but know, when I would serve the coffee, they smiled, they asked me, like, how's your day and things like that. And it's just a bit more personal. Right. And yeah. ever since then, I had such a good um, memory of that place. And which is why when I returned and eventually decided to move towards London, I told my husband or you know, my fiance at the time, like, I need to move into this particular place in London. I need to be in West London. So I actually went looking for a flat around the cafes they, they had. Wow. They had four cafes in West London. And I eventually moved in towards Eating Broadway, which is like a five minute bus ride from the cafe that I'm now working at. Okay. I remember going in with my laptop. I got a coffee. This is like day two after moving into London. Right. And I saw a sign saying they were hiring. And I was like, hey, I don't have my CV on me, but I'm interested about this job. Can you tell me more about it? Can you tell me about the pay? Can you tell me about the hours? I was asking so many questions. Probably being really irritating because, again, they were very busy. Right. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I was that person who's just a little too keen for own good. I just um, want to know. I'm so curious right now. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. I know you have, like, what, 10 coffees to make, but I'm sorry. Please. <laughs> um, but, no, they were very kind. Um, the manager sat me down first mm. to talk me through about the job. 
and um, and then later they got the head barista who was working. She got off the floor and she sat down to have a chat with me. And they said, "Look, we we really like you and we like that you have experience. But if you can come in tomorrow again with your CV." Um, and you know, I obviously just got that. I didn't have a printer on me, so I was like calling my husband, like, print out my CV at the office, please. I need this job before it goes to someone else who doesn't deserve it. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, I came in the next day. I had my CV, and they're like, oh, "Okay, cool." They literally just shoved my CV aside. Wow. I guess it was just for formality that they had my CV, but they yeah. asked me to like go behind the machine, show me what I had. Yeah. Um, you know, I had learned already because they were using the same machines that I used in Grumpy. Oh. So I was already, I already Irony. knew kind of what to do. Yeah, yeah. So they they put me on a, like a ten minute trial to see how I was, and they were like, "Okay, you know what? We'll hire you. Can you come over the weekend to work for an hour?" Just to see how you like it. It's not so much for us to see what you can do. It's for you to see if you're comfortable working with everyone here and if you like the job mm. or if you like the atmosphere. And so on Saturday, um, I went to one of the busiest shops right. ever. It was from 11 to 12, so I was in the worst lunch rush ever. I obviously, I mean, like. Grumpy Sometimes on the weekdays We'd literally be sitting Yeah Not doing anything For uh-huh. three hours Until the first customer Comes in You're like Oh my god Please yeah. Can I make you a coffee please Customers here Right yeah So Having been put in that situation Where it was just Order upon order Upon order And you're not Stopping I, w- I was just like What is going on um, But You know That was a year ago And now when I find myself in that situation, I love it. I love the challenge. I wow, love I would assume myself. I would assume you make hundred cups per hour or maybe more. I don't know. We probably take home about I don't know. We uh, five hundred to eight hundred cups a day, Shit. depending on how busy it gets and like you know, it it depends on the period. Like school holidays, none of no one's really around. So right. you're just on the machine. You can't move for three to five hours because people just keep coming in. They keep coming in. So, so one person would just pull the shot and another person would just throw the milk? Or is yeah. that how it goes? Uh, basically, the workflow is that, yeah, one person's on shots and they work slowly on shots. Okay. The second person is steaming milk. Damn. So, they're just like getting the pitchers, filling them out with milk, lining them up so that, you know, you got your flat white, you got a latte, you got two lattes to go. And then you're just steaming. You're just a steaming yeah. machine. And then when you're done with the milk, you pass it over to the third barista who's pouring everything into the cups, you know, assembling the sauces and the spoons. Um, sometimes running the coffee if they can, if they have the time. Right. Um, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. So far, so good. So far, so good. I mean, yeah. like, um, it already took me a while to adjust to how hard I had to work. Yeah. But no, it's I I love it. It's so efficient. Um, there are no kind of like loopholes in the entire structure of it. Right. It's very, very clear-cut to what everyone's roles are. Mm. And not for the, only the bursas, but for the all-rounders. And when it comes to like making the food, taking the orders and stuff like that, running the coffees, they're in charge. Mm. So it's nice that my job is just streamlined. That I only work in coffees and that is it. Right. When maybe a customer asks, has any questions about coffee or whatsoever, and the all-rounders can't, can't answer it, they will bring it up to me. Okay. But yeah. Do you, do you see yourself in a, in the same sort of industry in, in with it? Sorry. <laughs> do you see yourself in the same like coffee industry within the next five years? Or I think yeah? so. I mean, obviously, I was really passionate about writing, mm. and ever since I got myself into coffee, I've 
kind of put that on the back burner. I put it on the back burner purely because like when I went over to London, the idea of having to start up from scratch again, you know, to reapply for agencies or whatsoever and start off as a junior copywriter, mm. it didn't sound great. And again, with my prior experience in the media agency, I was just like, do I really want to get myself in that situation yeah. again? And being a barista, being coffee was a lot more transferable. You know, if from Malaysia to UK, it didn't really change that much. You have that base knowledge and that's all you really need. You could go to America, you could go to Spain or Portugal and it still would be the same. Yeah. Um, so it just made sense to me to stay in coffee and work as a barista. It just made sense because it was a job that probably everyone wasn't trying to get at the same time, if mm. it makes sense. Like, it's not as saturated. It's not going to be someone in Leo Burnett in London looking at your CV thinking, why should I hire a foreigner? Yeah. I mean, Who? obviously you mentioned it just shove away your CV that moment, right? Yeah, yeah. Just look at you as a person and how comfortable you are with that job, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, what, what in comparison with um, KL and also West London, what do you see the similarities or maybe something that you wish KL had that we could learn from the UK? Um, what I don't miss about KL is right. traffic. Right. Oh, okay, you don't have it. In we West. have traffic, but it's nearly not as bad All right. as it is in London. When someone complains about traffic, I'm just like, you guys have not seen the jam I have seen at six to seven coming from KL Central, like you know, just in cap, like in the middle of KL, yeah. going back to PJ. You yeah. have not seen that. <laughs> you have not seen a thirty-minute like journey become an hour and thirty minutes because you know hujan lebat. Yeah, yeah. Um, it London has great transportation. Like I literally, I don't have to drive anymore. It's just getting on the bus, getting on the tube, mm -hmm. getting to where I need to be. It's obviously convenient to have a car, but let's be honest, like. 80% of people who are born and raised in London don't have a car because they don't need it. Um, yeah, I mean, what I miss about London, about KL is the food. English food is bloody bland. Yeah. Like, okay, fish and chips, okay, burgers, but how much of that can you actually eat before you're thinking, oh my God, I want some like karimi, I want my indomie, I want to go to mama at like 3 a.m. and have a roti chanai. Yeah, I guess the, the common... That's a common thing, right? Like the, the thing about KL is the food. Yeah. Like the ultimate reason to come back. <laughs> Apart from family, and, I guess. I mean, yeah. yeah. I, and I miss the culture of Lepa. Like mm. the whole idea that after work, you can still go out and see your friends. Yeah. And, you know, at least spend some time together. But, but that is just the end. It's right? just kind of the end. Sometimes you have to make a little bit more extra effort to mm. obviously meet up with people. But, you know, the pubs close at 11 right. on weekdays. So there's not really much of a environment to kind of facilitate the whole lepak culture mm. um, yeah but that's okay I guess I mean we still go out for drinks and it still kind of like encourages me to go to bed at 10 yeah. and have a healthy sleep cycle yeah. <laughs> okay what do you like the most about yourself as a person and what one other trait that you wish you had as a person character traits <sighs> hmm I guess, oh, man, it's so hard to talk about yourself when you're put in a position like this. Um, I don't know, when you ask questions like that, isn't it kind of weird because you're thinking to yourself, you obviously want people to see you as the individual you want to project yourself as. So even if I were to answer your questions, this would be very biased to myself. Yeah, that's the whole point. Like, we, we the whole idea right yeah. now is to actually 
learn and understand more about you and what you like more about yourself so there's no there's not in any way narcissistic (laughs) (laughs) it's okay to talk about yourself I guess so Uh, is it I don't know Uh, I'm still very uncomfortable but um, I guess over the years I've realized I'm 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 adaptable I suppose like Mm. I've been thrown into environments where they're completely alien to me or I'm uncomfortable but you know you make what you make of the experience and you do your best and I guess that's pretty good I mean I've gone over to to London I've adapted I've learned to adapt working with different people who have different styles of doing things and sometimes that's irritating for other people but you know you just make what you make of the experience right um, I guess that's one good thing okay. about myself yeah um, one thing I wish I had um, I wish I was a bit more confrontational so I you mean, try to avoid confronting people or situations um, you just uh, brush it off a little bit is that how you go I guess I guess it's you know there's a time and place for everything right. you pick and choose your fights mm-hmm. You can't win every battle. I, it's not that I'm aiming to win every battle. I'm aiming to try and defend what I think is right. Mm. Maybe not what I think is right, but you know, I have obviously a very song, strong sense of justice, and mm-hmm. I wish I I backed that up a bit more, mm. especially verbally. I mean, when it comes to people being horrible to your friends. I mean, this is just me taking back from the culture, like my work culture, and being obviously a foreigner in in London. Like London's full of foreigners. Let's yeah, be yeah, honest. Yeah. You know, everything is built on the work of immigrants. Uh-huh. But it's the whole idea that you're walking, you're just walking home, and then someone is just gonna look at you and scream "Ni hao." What? You know, it's the whole Shit, idea that that you, happens. That happens a lot what? more than you think. And I mean, like KL is multicultural, but yeah. I guess it's not uncommon to see a Chinese girl walking around but I guess over there maybe it is okay I mean it's not like I'm the only Chinese or the only Malaysian in, in right. West London where I live but at the same time I I still get that damn I still get the whole um, person looking at me and then saying to me I'm sorry I don't speak Japanese and I'm just like what the fuck but I, I don't speak Japanese either so yeah we <laughs> have something in common I get the whole I remember this one man he came up to me and started speaking to me in a language I didn't quite understand this is just on the bus on a bus trip and I'm I mean like he was um, African descent Mm. I guess that's one nice way to put it PC way to put it Um, he just approached me and started speaking to me and I'm just like trying to overhear him so I'm just like I'm sorry excuse me I, I can't catch you and then on the fifth time he repeated himself I realized he was speaking Mandarin to me whoa and I'm just like, oh, um, I'm sorry, but I actually don't speak Mandarin. You know, I, I speak Cantonese. Is he, is he like English? Is he English? I guess he was English. All right. And when I said this to him, he got really offended. He just kind of backed, backed away. And he gave me this kind of like, like almost like he didn't believe me look. And then luckily enough, the door, the buses, um, the buses doors open. He jumped off and he said, I was speaking to you in Mandarin. And he just like threw his hands up in the air. Weird. And then he just walked off, and I'm just saying. That was weird. I I don't get it. Why are you the one who's offended? <laughs> yeah. When you presume that I could speak Mandarin just because of the way I look, you know. <laughs> so I I get that a lot, and I wish that I had the courage to stand up for myself. Right. I wish I had the courage to tell them why that's 
that's not cool, man. Mm. That's not cool to make these assumptions about someone just because of the way they look. Yeah, yeah. What would be the best piece of advice you've ever received throughout your 27 years on planet Earth? Um, you've probably been hearing me say it during the conversation, right. but um, the best advice that I was ever given was by a family friend, and he was the kind of um, he was my one of my mom's first bosses mm. in advertising, and you know because they are now really good friends, he watched me grow up, and uh, he told me as I was about to leave to the UK, he said make the best of the experience mm. you know obviously you're you're throwing things that are unexpected right. and you don't know what to do but it is totally up to you as an individual of what you do with it you could make it a terrible experience for yourself because you're like oh I don't want to do it oh it's too difficult or at the same time you could be I'll take up the challenge I'm going to I'm going to work hard I'm going to try and push forward because I can only gain from this experience so yeah mm. I think that's kind of carried me pretty far in life cool maybe those words would you would you say yourself as a complete um, have you found your passion in life or have you found your purpose mm. or probably not your ultimate purpose but your purpose at the moment yeah, yeah? Um, I'm pretty damn happy making coffee mm. and um, the whole idea of pouring beautiful latte art or making a really damn good cup of espresso mm. and seeing someone's day been made because of that yeah. they would come back to me saying that was the best flat white I've had or I really needed that coffee I was having a terrible day I just yeah, got a divorce yeah. you know even just, just little things maybe they don't have to spill their guts out to me maybe they, if they want to they can um, as long as I can offer some sort of comfort to someone mm-hmm. that is enough for me really that simple gratification Right. Okay. For I need a little bit of your input, right? For mm. someone who who's struggling with finding their own self, right? To yeah. get to know themselves and try, trying to find their purpose and passion in life in general, what would your advice be for these young souls? Like they are lost and probably they are caught up with whatever the trend is right now. Yeah. And they realize like none of them like sort of stick around with you forever and. This is struggling from day to day trying to understand why they are here on earth. Yeah. What will your advice be? Or where do they start? Man, um in this journey of finding themselves. I mean, I was in that spot where mm. it coming out of, you know, finishing your studies and and you don't know what to do with yourself. You don't know what the future holds. I mean, whoever does, like who yeah. ever knows what's going to happen the next day or 5 years after that. And I guess the best advice I can give to someone is just to do it day by day. I mean, take hold of the present and make it great for yourself. I mean, it doesn't even have to be a productive day. It could just be a day where you spend time with yourself, doing something that you love. And as long as you're making your present self happy, you're going to make your future self happy. And just working yourself in the now, because that's all you have, it's the now. And if you're not making the best of that, then what's the point? Right. I mean, it's okay for someone not to know what they want to do with their lives. I still don't know what I want to do with my life. I know what I like doing now, but who's to say this is going to, you know, take me for it in the next five to ten years. But I'm having such a great time in the now, even doing this podcast with you, that 
um, I know that tomorrow is going to be great. I know that maybe next week it might not be a great day, but I'll try and make it a great day. You're allowed to have those days where you're just like, this is pointless. I'm just going to sit at home and do nothing. But as long as you pick yourself up the next day, thinking to yourself that if I don't do something for myself, then no one's going to help me. Mm. If you don't help yourself first, then unfortunately you're going to spend too much time worrying about someone else who might not necessarily play a bigger part of your life in the future. Right. Does this make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. Take it a day at a time, right? Mm. So, because speaking of experience, you you were from KL, right? Yeah. So, you, you were from here and you, you sort of um, based there in London right now. What would your suggestion be for those who are in KL and they are not happy with whatever they have here? They have yeah. the, like, sort of... Um, discontentment mm. and also they want to leave but they just don't know how to like because you your life so have sort of you have planned it well with like degree masters jobs and all that yeah you got all that covered but what would your advice be i mean i guess i i got the better end of the stick mm. you know i i married myself into the country yeah and this is not something that everyone can do yeah. i mean don't get me wrong guys i did not marry this man for a visa yeah. i genuinely love him yeah. even though i love telling other people that i don't yeah. <laughs> it's just it's, it's a, anyway um yeah i guess i was very fortunate in that part and even with that it was still a lot of hard work to get through the paperwork it was still a lot of money but if you I guess for anyone who ever feels that they are stuck in the same space doing the same thing, they need to get out of the country. Maybe not even get out of the country, but get out of that comfort zone. Obviously, getting out of that feeling of being complacent. Mm. I think complacency is the worst demon for yourself. Where you're pretty much just in this same pool with the same people, with the same things, surrounding yourself in many, many layers of comfort. And once you get too nestled in that, you're not ever going to grow as a person. You're not ever going to become something better than you are at the moment. And um, you might not necessarily have to leave to Europe. You could just go to Singapore. I don't know. I'm not really sure how these things work out with the visas and the work. But if you are given the opportunity to leave, then go. Wow. It's okay. just, I don't know. I mean, I've had a lot of friends who were with me in university mm. and who wanted to stay in the country but had no means to do so, mm. purely because it's just more difficult to get a visa, especially when it's a working visa. Mm. Because not only would you have to sometimes pay for yourself in that visa, and it's an exorbitant amount of money, mm. but it's also the idea of having the workplace justify why you're needed there. Right. Do you think like it's always the case that the grass is always greener on the other side? Yeah. That we always feel like whatever we have now is not enough mm -hmm. and they have it better overseas? Or yeah. Is that the case or it really is? They have more stuff going on? I mean, I think it is the case of grass is always greener on the other side. Right. I mean, my life in London is nowhere comparable to my life in KL. I, I miss the idea of, you know, how easy it was for me to go out to gigs and how easy it was to hang out with my friends and being part of a smaller circle where you know everyone mm. and that was nice but in London it's huge you're not gonna like oh it's so, it so turns out my friend's like spinning at yeah, one yeah. of the nicest clubs in London it's not ever gonna be that I'm like uh -huh. oh I'm not getting guest list to a, yeah. a gig of an international art it's I, I don't know I came from this very cushy background I suppose and 
oh, it's kind of millennial and kind of yeah. gross if I now that I'm saying it out loud. But like <laughs> in London, I have to fend for myself. I have to work so much harder to yeah. have the lifestyle that I want for myself. And um, I don't, I don't really go out. I don't really have friends outside of work. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's mm. a slower pace in life, and I guess it's good. Um, but yeah, this grass is always greener. If you think that. You going to London and living this edgy, hipster kind of East London, you know, lifestyle where you're going out to all of the amazing rooftop bars in summer. You're going to all of the amazing gigs and festivals. But as everyone in London would say, you need money. You need money to enjoy London. Yeah, right. But then again, you need money to enjoy anything else. I guess money is not the root of evil, right? No. It is money is a key to happiness. In a way. <laughs> in a way, in a way. It's 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 fleeting happiness. Yeah, yeah. You know. You're obviously an artsy artsy person, right? So can you uh, run through with us like what does your tattoo mean to you? Like have you oh my did, God. do you actually um like give it a real deep thought to actually before deciding or was it all uh, predetermined? So I guess it started off with tattoos that I wanted to have meaning behind. Mm. You know, the whole idea that I'll get family-orientated tattoos so right. each person will be represented by a tattoo because, you know, hopefully you never will have a falling out of your family and family will always be there mm. for you right. no matter what. And so a lot of the first tattoos I got were to represent that. And then later on, eventually, it just kind of started to like, oh, I'm going to get something inspired by this certain artist that I like. Um, so let's get a tattoo to represent that mm. or let's get a tattoo because hey this looks pretty cool um, I'm going to contact the artist and maybe they can come up with something custom for me or it's just a whole idea of like oh wow that's a nice flash let's get that now okay cool right. yeah, it, it, it's more and more of a spontaneity right yeah I mean oh, a lot what does this mean to you so the sleeve on my right arm is a snake and snake. my grand my late grandfather was born the year of the snake so right. this was oh, to commemorate nice. his death okay or his life mm. even yeah and the other side um this again was probably uh inspired by um one of my favorite japanese uh, manga artists he mm. does a lot of like horror uh themed manga uh maruo mm. so yeah a lot of gory macabre dark stuff so one of the tattoo artists, she's from Melbourne, she was coming over to London to guest and she loved the artist herself. So I told her, let's work together. I want you to help me design a, a specific tattoo around this one specific um, frame in his comic. So she did that for me. Mm, right. Okay, do you, do you see yourself having a full sleeze tattoo in the um, next few years? I don't know. It depends on what the bank account says. Yeah. <laughs> Ideally, yes, that would be nice. Um, but at the same time, I'm that kind of person where I never go back to the same artist. Right. I always try to get artwork from different um, tattoo artists because I guess there's so much more talent out there, especially with Instagram. Everything's so much more accessible. You mm. can actually pick and choose what artists yeah. that you like and what styles you like and eventually start following them and hope God to one day they will come to your neighborhood and then you'll be able to pay out through your nose for yeah, something yeah. that you want and yeah, love. But yeah, but I feel bad for those people who get a drunk tattoo, you know? Like oh get, yeah, of course. Yeah, I, they get drunk and they get like some random... I know, they <laughs> come thing. back with like this like smiley face <laughs> on their butt cheek. They're like, how did that happen? Yeah. Um, I don't know, there's a, I can't remember this, this one Instagram account and I'll link it to you later. Um, okay. But my husband follows it and it's basically just an entire collection of bad 
bad tattoos. Oh shit. They are terrible. <laughs> some of them are disgusting to look at. But there is some sort of charm towards yeah. them. Like you're looking at them, you're like laughing to yourself, thinking, I'm never gonna get this, but at the same time you're thinking, there's so much personality and character in this. There's so much this is such a bad decision, but what led up to this bad decision? Yeah. What is the story? Yeah. Um, you feel like yeah, you you want to know the whole backstory. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Uh, but no, someone should never ever get drunk when they're getting a tattoo. They will bleed out on the table. Don't ever do that, guys. <laughs> never do that. Yeah. <laughs> Don't ever do that. Okay. Um, what would your advice be for your unborn kids who will be listening this for twenty years from now? I guess the best advice is just to be your truest self. Even when put people put you down for the person that you want to become or the person you are never let that happen never stand down because you are who you are i mean this is not a, even talking about the snowflake generation or being special or whatnot it's just the whole idea that if you identify as a certain type of person then no one should ever alienate you because of that um, there are always going to be people who will love you and care for you because of the person you are and that's all that should matter. You should always surround yourself with positive people who want to help you grow and want to help you learn to be a better human being. And yeah, never just stop being your truest self. Yeah, how does someone stay true to themselves in the, in the midst of this chaotic uh, finger pointing, like you are fake, you know, like the, because the world like to bring you down in a way, you know? Well, I can't imagine in the future it would be worse, I think. I think it would be worse. I mean, yeah, like, this so is. You have the online bullying and yeah, there's yeah, so many cyber. more mediums to right. psychoanalyze someone based on the person they are. Yeah. And um, despite the idea that I work in social media, I'm actually not on social media a lot. Yeah. I, I post a lot on Instagram, but mm. Instagram, again, is a smaller platform, I feel, yeah. versus Facebook where you probably have 700 friends and you're thinking to yourself, who are the other 500 that I'm not yeah. very familiar with anymore? <laughs> but um, right. I guess it's just the whole idea that I know it, it is difficult. It is difficult when people are going to incarcerate you because you have a certain opinion and it might not be a popular one. Yeah. But I think it's just the whole idea of always standing up for yourself. Unless someone actually tells you, someone that you trust and someone that you love tells you that's wrong. Okay, maybe not wrong is a strong word because nothing really is yeah, everything is sort wrong. of subjective, right? It, it's very grey. Everything's yeah. very grey. But if you, someone were to come up to you and tell you, you're being an utter asshole, like, this should stop. I think then that is the point where you're like, maybe I need to go back and think about this. Mm. I guess it's to have a strong opinion of yourself, but never a strong enough opinion where you don't want to change. Right. Okay, so... Because I remember you in this conversation, you said you have dealt with dark days before. Mm. So obviously, you've climbed through the little hole, right? Yeah. Do you mind? Do you mind giving a little piece of advice? Not not advice. I would say speaking from your experience. Mm. So uh, tips, I guess. Yeah. How how does someone who have dealt with con- like who have dealt with suicide contemplation or maybe they are in a deep hole of yeah. depression right now at this very moment who's been listening to this? What would you say to them? Like, how do they climb out of that rut? You know, this is going to sound really contradictory to what I said, but I never really left the rut. But that is okay. I think, again, it's coming to terms with the person that you are. And 
during those times, I would always be questioning myself. I have presumably the best life that I could have right now. You know, I have a job. I have someone who loves me. I have a family who really cares about me. I have everything I could possibly need. I have great friends to support me through these times. But what? So why? Why am I so unhappy? Why can I never be at a hundred percent? And then it it took me forever to finally realize that no one can truly be at a hundred percent. And even if you're not at the 80% as what presumably everyone else might be, you might be a 60, you might be a 75. It's coming to the idea that that is okay because that is who you are. It's just coming to terms with it really that sometimes it's not necessary that you completely push the darkness aside, but it's learning to embrace the darkness and kind of keeping it at arm's distance that you know it's there and you can sometimes say hi to it and they'll say hi back and that's it yeah. it's just there sometimes it's better not not try to push it away don't, don't get rid of it you yeah. might it might help you along the way right i mean it's it's one thing to keep resisting it and if you keep resisting it, if you keep denying its existence it's just going to go stronger and stronger at that point at that time i was thinking to myself i can't acknowledge it because if i don't acknowledge it it doesn't exist but that just makes it even worse because if you don't acknowledge it you're never going to move past it if you're thinking it's an invisible monster it's just going to keep growing and growing until you one day look it in the eyes and say that you can exist can you imagine like it's just the whole idea of like even someone that you don't like in real life a friend or an acquaintance and completely ignoring their existence how much begrudgment and hatred they might build towards you. It's sort of like that. It's the whole idea that unless you acknowledge something and bring it into your own existence that you can learn to conquer it from there. Mm. Wow. Wow, that's a sweet, sweet perspective. Yeah. 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 I don't know, because I, I guess I had a friend and I still have a friend who dealt with you know, this mental health issue. Mm. Probably at a much more extreme version of what I and then again you can't paint all of it the same shade of black mm. you know it's always going to be a different shade it's always going to be different it's the whole idea that you don't have to necessarily understand it but you can sympathize with the situation and um, you know it's the whole idea that you, I just told him that you know dude I was where you are maybe not necessarily as bad I can I can sympathize with it I don't necessarily understand what you're going through but I am here for you and I'm here to talk about it and I don't know if it's going to be of any advice or any good out of it if I tell you this, but just embrace it, understand it, and know that it can be a part of you and you have nothing to feel ashamed about it. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to leave it at that. That's, that's awesome. Thanks. Um, yeah, this is where I flip the script. And I've mm. been asking you a whole lot of a bunch of questions today, and this is where I give you a chance to actually... Um, ask me anything you would like to ask mm-hmm. uh, Anything apart from the podcast Because everyone has been asking me the same questions So the answer is going to be more or less the same But yeah, any questions that you have in mind You can go as, yeah, whatever you want to ask me What? I don't know, because I guess I'm also I'm sort of this person where I'm I'm an extrovert with um, introvert sort of personality traits What? What would you say you are, considering that the fact that you're 
you seem really comfortable with the podcast. You seem really comfortable interviewing people and getting to know people and probably more than personal levels, really. And so what, what started off that whole dialogue? The whole idea behind the project? Not even the project, but the whole idea that you came to love people and individuals and wanting to know more about them. Where did this stem from, this curiosity? Oh, right. Wow, that's a brilliant freaking <laughs> question. How do you came up with that? <laughs> well, um, where did it stem from? I guess I've realized this from from a barista to a customer point of view. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, because I like talking to customers. Mm. That's, that's how it all started, right? And I realized that everything, if it's not documented, it sort of didn't happen. Yeah. Because we, as humans, we tend to forget we, we tend to forget a lot of things that happen mm-hmm. so I realised that I've, I've been hanging out you as well you've been hanging out with all your friends in KL yeah. you have a wonderful conversations over beer over coffee mm-hmm. but if you, if you want to recall every single one of them it's just almost impossible yeah. Right? Yeah. and there are meaningful ones Yeah. so my whole um, idea of this podcast is to actually document conversations from the people I've crossed paths with and I also the ones that I've... Lately, I feel like the harder it is to cross paths with them, the more, the more that I want to document it. Right. Because I've met you, for, for your information, I've, for the audience's information, I've met Ines before in uh, Grumpy Cyclist, but I don't, I don't think you recall. But no, I- before that, it was... I mean, Recently, it was in Common Man for the Aeropress competition. Yeah. yeah, and then I realized, oh my God, you're leaving. You mentioned that you're leaving. Yeah. And then you're in a coffee scene. And why not? You know, because it might not ever happen again. Yeah. Sad, sadly enough to say, our path may not ever cross again. Yeah. But now that this happened, and yeah, I'm, I'm going to cherish this moment mm-hmm. and I'm enjoying right now. And also looking forward to just. Um, rec- recall it in the future you know what I mean it's, yeah. it's now documented and how did I become comfortable in the terms of extroverted introvertedness I'm more of an introvert yeah. um, to, to begin with yeah but I'm comfortable with people so okay. I guess it's you, you are an extrovert yeah but you have a little bit of introvertedness yeah in you. so I'm, from my side it's the other way around yeah so introvert and I'm comfortable with people. Yeah. yeah. So introverted with some extroverted uh, tendencies. Tendencies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting, so, interesting. Yeah. And also I like meeting new people. I really genuinely like meeting new interesting people. And I, mm-hmm. from that moment I saw you, I, already, I was already intrigued. And I was surprised that I had the chance to talk to you. Like yeah. how, how the door like sort of opens. Yeah, so yeah. Like, okay, why not? You know? Have you... I don't know about about you but have you ever experienced this whole idea that when you meet someone for the first time that conversation is great yeah. like you have such meaningful chats about things and just getting to know this person and you I don't know for me I live off that thrill of that like that sort of like uh, is it endorphins or yeah, no, yeah, the yeah. adrenaline of like meeting someone new right. and then you're thinking to yourself yeah let's meet up again for the second or third time but then the second or the third time it's not quite yeah. That's great. Yeah. Have you ever had that experience? Uh, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. But yeah, I can I can imagine. I've had that experience before, yes. But it just isn't it doesn't repeat itself quite often. It's yeah. not a common scenario. Okay. Uh, yeah. You feel that a lot? Uh, not All so much a lot, but it's just the, I guess it's the whole 
I guess when you meet someone for the second or third time, this is when you start thinking to yourself, is this a friendship or not? But then, like, mm. as, I guess as that goes on, you kind of realize that maybe we were better off as acquaintances. Maybe it was just right at that moment and at that period that I talked to you the first time. It was great conversation, but that's never ever going to happen again, and that's okay. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. It's a weird thing for me, and I was just wondering if anyone else kind of like ever yeah. felt that way. Yeah, and if you come think about it, right, the people that you meet. You might not ever meet them again. You know, you know how um, insane yeah, yeah, that is. Yeah. Of course, you can you can say like, oh, I have this friend, I know him, but think about it. You'll never meet him again. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But so we will, we will only feel sad when they're they actually. I mean, we when during death, and also like you know absence. Yeah, yeah. absence. But if you think about it, we are always absence mm. in a way, right? Yeah. 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 Okay, before I go to the last question, how can people find you on social media or is there any upcoming projects that you want to plug out or your writing-wise uh, or art? Not really. I mean, like, I'm leaving back to London on uh, Friday. Yeah. So unless you're in town and want coffee, then hook me, uh, you know, link up with me. I work at Artisan. Um, you can find me on Instagram. West I'm London, right? In West London, okay. uh, Eating Broadway Eating specifically. Broadway. Okay. Um, but otherwise, I'm on Instagram. I'm not very active. I guess I'm just active when I want to share. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm uh, at inessential, inessential. Yeah, I'll link the link below. You want to spell it out? I N E S S A A N T I A L. Cool. All right. And down to the last question. Mm. If you could change this world, if you could make like literally one decision uh, by Ines. Um, to actually make an impact in this world, right? With your decision that it's not already been um, showing signs or it's not already been happening right now where we live in 2018, what would it be that your contribution to this society or to the whole global, perhaps if you want to go global, you can, or if you want to go Malaysia, you also can. What would it be? One change that you would make to see happen in this world right now by Inessa? Wow. Um, that's a big question. Um, I guess I guess on a small scale, it's just maybe to be a bit more considerate and to be a bit more aware of what happens around you. And I, I'm, I'm speaking in terms of maybe... Um, being a stranger in in a situation where you could be on the tube and you see someone, you know, who can't really stand for much longer, but though she be pregnant or maybe it's an elderly uh, man or woman, just the whole idea of just getting up and offering your seat to them, even though it might offend them because I'm I'm not that old, because that has happened. Um, it's just the whole idea of just doing that, you know, holding the door open for someone, or picking up loose change that someone might have dropped. Anything, anything to just be a bit more kind to someone that you don't know can make a huge impact on that other person. And I feel like we just probably need to do that a bit more. Or just the whole idea that someone next to you on the tube or next to you anywhere could be reading a book that you've read, having a conversation with them about the book. Just doing something to maybe reach out to someone you don't know. Oh, yeah. So with a little bit of kindness, you can change the world, right? Just, yeah, just I guess that's what we, the world needs. That's yeah, a, just yeah. kindness really. Kindness and consideration yeah, Just and be kind to one another, you mm. know And the world will change And it's not even that, it's also the whole idea Sometimes you just need to 
is receive kindness. Because you know a lot of people who want to belanja you makan, and then you're like, no, 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 I don't need, no need. It's just the yeah. whole idea like, maybe just stop and say thank you, thank you so much. I really appreciate this. The next one will be on me. It's just the whole idea of just being, not being evasive about it, but just accepting it and being grateful for it and finding another way of being kind to the next person. You got that <laughs> right. Good one. All yeah. right, thank you so much for being part of the podcast. It's all right. Thanks for having me. All it's right. been it's been fun. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, Kopi Camilo with Inessa flying off back to London on Friday. Good luck with the coffee journey and have fun making 100 cups of coffee <laughs> per hour or probably <laughs> around that. I have work on Sunday. I'm going to oh die. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you so much. Thanks everyone. All thank right. you. Hello, Kopi Camilo podcast. Camilo podcast. Camilo podcast. Camilo podcast. Camilo podcast.